This morning, I titled the message this morning. This has just been something that's been sitting on me for quite a while, particular passage that we'll delve into this morning. And it's going to kind of open the door for us to move into a series uh, throughout this month of August and, and, and into the coming month as well. The title this morning is One Thing, The Power of Together. You guys have seen a little phrase. We're going to unpack it a little bit in the coming weeks. That little, we've got a logo as a church. It sits under the banner of growing together for the glory of God. And that's a, that's, we're going to unpack some of that in the coming weeks. But that together piece, right, this morning just gives us a chance to accentuate that element of being together. The, since March of 2020, words like scattered and distant and interrupted and distracted. Those have been the words that have more described what it felt like to be a a family of God together. Uh, But what God's hopefully doing is giving us the opportunity to, to recognize something. There's a together dimension that God plans for his people, period. And what, what are we going to do if, you know, we, we, we started planning this in, in June and COVID had other plans, right? This was not what we were hoping for. We're going to get to August 1st and everybody's going to be back freaking out over COVID again. But that was not in the plans. But what if COVID never goes away? What if disruptions of some sort never go away? Well, the word together is never going away either. God has a purpose for his people to be together and we're going to have to figure it out, right? We're going to have to not lose that value. But let me start with this question. How big of a deal is the church's unity? How big a deal is that? And I don't want to assume that that's an equally big deal for every one of us who are gathered this morning, that unity is a big deal. I mean, let's, let's be honest, right? I grew up. Uh, in New Orleans here. I was raised by my parents in a Catholic church. We went to church about every week. I mean, it was unusual for us to miss being in church on a weekly basis. But if you ask me that question, how big a deal, Keith, is unity to you in that setting? Uh, If if unity means like-mindedness and partnership and engagement with others and taking my life and doing this with other people for a cause that we share together with a passion. If that's what you meant by unity, I'd have to be honest. There wasn't a whole lot of concern in my life about unity at that point. I saw people gathered in a building, but I I didn't really know what they were about. I didn't know how like-minded we were. I don't know how passionate we were about any one thing together. We were just a bunch of people sitting in a building. Can I I just say, that's not what God has in mind, right? If this gathering ever feels that way to you, please make an appointment immediately to come see one of the pastors. This is not how church should feel. Now, now for us, I, I think I mean, let's face it, we live in America. We live in the land of opportunity, the land of plenty. There's a lot of other things that can get our attention besides church. I mean, we have the blessing in this country of of having wealth, of giving us options that wealth provides for us, some the opportunity to own more than one home, to travel, to be able to go to vacation locations, to get educated, to have jobs. That, that develop meaningful careers that demand something from us, to be a business owner, to, to maybe have a job and own properties. I mean, we have a lot of opportunity in this country that we live in. But that means there's a lot to pay attention to, right? So on any given day, I got a lot of stuff in the land of America to manage in my world. So maybe, maybe being like-minded and united with other people gets to be a little bit harder. Can you give me an amen on that? That's true, isn't it? It's just hard to have a lot of things sitting at the top as the most important thing. So unity is a challenge for us, but I want to pick up on two locations in scripture where Jesus is going to say something about unity and and the apostle Paul is going to say something about unity. And one of these I'm going to grab from John chapter 17 here. I'm going to read this passage to us. John chapter 17, right? There's a little window in the the gospel of John from John 13 all the way to John 18, where you get 
13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. You get six chapters out of the gospel of John that cover about six hours in the life of Jesus. So it is this slow down, put it under a microscope, pay attention because it's Jesus last night with his disciples. And that always has captured my attention. Jesus is your last moment with these guys. What are you going to bring up? What are you not going to bring up? What are you going to accentuate? What really, really matters that your disciples are going to need to pay a special attention to these things? Well, that's what we're reading here. When we read from that section, John chapter 17, Jesus is going to pray. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer, we call it. You know, we, we call it the Lord's Prayer. This is really the Lord's Prayer, right? This, this is the one he's praying for us. And listen to what he says. This is his prayer to the Father, John 17, 16. They are not of the world, right? This group of disciples with him that evening. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. You know who's included in that statement? Us. Isn't that amazing? Jesus was praying for us in this moment. Here's what he was praying. That they may all, verse 21, be one. Just as you, Father, are in me. And I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. This is what's in the passionate heart of Jesus on the last night he is with his disciples. This radical, and listen, if I just said, hey, that they could all be one, that would be a pretty powerful statement. But when you characterize that oneness by saying, just as I am one with you, Father, the oneness shared in the Godhead, Jesus wants to transfer it to his church. How many of us know we just got a severe upgrade when that happened? Whatever you were thinking of oneness, jack it up, baby, because you're not even close. And it's interesting what what the ingredients he includes here. Very important ingredients for us to unpack the rest of the series that we're going to be going through. He says, they, right? So he's, he's not speaking to everybody here, right? This is a select group. They are not of this world. So, so they're not like that other group out there. They're unique, They have a different identity. Did you know this morning you, if you belong to Christ, you have a different identity than the people that you might bump into at Walmart this afternoon. You have a different identity. You are part of a different purpose that God has designed. And in that purpose, we hear that there's sanctification and sending. In the purpose of God, there is sanctification and sending. There is a setting apart by God for some purpose. There is a transformative act of God that's going to be taking place in our lives for the rest of our lives here. It's a sanctifying thing that God is doing. And it is a sending thing that God is doing. So God is sanctifying us in the truth and he is sending us into the world. And that's a part of this prayer of oneness. That we would be one. Now, fast forward about 30 years and you get to the Apostle Paul writing to the Philippians. And kind of similarly, this is not a John 17 evening, the last night with the disciples, but it almost is. Because if you read the verses right above the ones I'm going to read for you right now, you can hear the Apostle Paul saying, hey, you know, I'm kind of hard pressed. I don't know whether to go and be with the Lord or to hang with you guys a little bit longer. So he's almost summarizing, almost this is like my last thoughts for you guys, because I could leave. Or I could stay, but it looks like God wants me to stay. That's going to be more profitable for you and for your progress in the faith. All right. So if that's the case, let's get on to this. He says, verse 27, let your manner of life then be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you. You may have a reputation. You may be known for something. 
that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Really, that's where you want to start, Paul? When you go to live a life worthy, what's, what do you want to bring up, Paul? I want, I want to bring this up, that you'd be one together. One mind, one spirit standing side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now, this sounds like Paul knew something that Jesus was praying about. It sounds like the apostle Paul hadn't lost this value. First order of business, father, make them one. Transfer that to the apostle Paul and he speaks to churches and he says, here's your priority. You be one. You be unified in mind and in mission for the sake of the gospel going forth in this world. Verse 28. Not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. I love the way that sounds like good news. It's been granted to me. Well, don't do me any more favors, right? Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had. And now you hear I still have. And then verse one of chapter two. Remember, there's no chapters and verses in the original New Testament. Next thought. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So I appreciate this because this, this, is, this is a challenge for us. We are, a, we are a generation. We are a culture that doesn't do difficult. The second we encounter difficult, we assume something is out of bounds. Something is wrong. I've made a misstep. I've made a mistake. My marriage is hard. I'm well, because I married the wrong person. This is how we think today. But I appreciate that Paul says, you know, you can be right in the middle of being one and in the purpose of God and living in the purpose of God and be surrounded by words that sound like this. There are opponents. There is suffering. There is conflict like you see in me. And you are going to struggle with your own selfish ambition. So if that's alive and well in the settings that God has called you and I to be a part of, whether it's in our marriages, in our families, or in a church, don't, don't misread that. Ah, we just, we're terrible. Don't do that. Here's the apostle Paul. You want to call him into question saying, Paul, hey, wait, what are you doing, man? Obviously you're out of God's will. There's opponents that are against you. You're suffering. There's conflict that you can't seem to make it go away. And, and then you got to worry about selfish ambition. Paul, you're obviously in the wrong place. Because if God was really blessing you, it would be smooth sailing. It would be easy. That's not how the Bible reads, is it? So you and I are called to a unity that's going to have all those features as a part of it. And you and I are called to a particular moment in time. You and I are going to do unity in 2021. Can you think of a weirder moment to try and do unity? (laughs) I mean, these last year and a half has been the most bizarre, divisive, difficult, relational months and couple of years almost now that any of us can probably remember. I appreciate Kevin DeYoung had written an article a few months ago. He said his article title was Why Reformed Evangelicalism Has Splintered. He said this, because it's no secret that America is suffering from ever-deepening division and polarization. Many of us are concerned about the increasing animosity, belligerence, and violence in our body politic. What concerns me even more are the divisions in the church. Obviously, the biggest issue is race and everything that touches race, police shootings, critical race theory, Trump. But it's not just race that divides us. And I'm, I'm going to point out to you, I don't know if you underlined it in your things you should have. I want you to listen to the things he says divides us. I couldn't agree more. 
And I don't think we're paying attention to these. We're just reading the headlines. You know, as believers, we, we need to read these headlines and the Holy Spirit's headlines that he's bringing up with us in our own hearts on a daily basis. And not just the headlines that some news producer decided to generate for us. That's about police and race, et cetera, et cetera. Listen to the things he says divides us. It's more broadly our different instincts and sensibilities. Our divergent fears and suspicions. Our various intellectual and cultural inclinations. That's not just race, is it? That's not just masks, is it? Right? There's something on the inside of us as unique individuals that's touching those categories. He says, yes, there are important theological disagreements too. And these demand the best attention of our heads and hearts. But in many instances, people who can affirm the same doctrinal commitments on paper are miles apart in their posture and practice. It's an interesting moment for us to have studied through the statement of faith, at least pieces of it over the summer here. You know, I didn't get any emails from anybody at all concern that I don't believe that last statement in the statement of faith. So we seem to agree on the statement of faith. Let's see if we can all agree on whether to wear a mask or not today, right? <laughs> right we got other issues here. But, you know, well, that's just the statement of faith. This is a mask. Okay. Uh... Is that how we're supposed to view this? All right, question, just to kind of give us a little bit of releasing. Maybe this is a common sense application of theology. Uh, when, when did it become a requirement for us to align in categories, uh, like he mentions here, in our instincts, in our sensibilities, our fears, in our suspicions? Do, do you recognize that you may be afraid of some things that I'm not afraid of? And I may be terrified from some things that don't bother you at all. Do you get that? Right, so do we have to come into agreement on that? Do you have to be afraid of the things I'm afraid of now? For us to be unified, for us to be one? Right, there are people in a gathering this big that are throw out the word COVID and Delta variant. <gasps> I mean, I'm, 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 I'm afraid. I'm afraid I'm going to get it. I'm afraid somebody I love is going to get it. And then on the other side of the room, somebody's going, oh, whatever. Yeah, I had it. I hardly even noticed it was a speed bump. Do you two need to get together and come into agreement on this for Jesus' prayer to get answered? That you would be one. Is that the kind of oneness that, that God's after here? Our government overstep, that government overstep thing. Man, here they go again. Here, here they go again. It's government overstep. And somebody else is like, no, I don't, I don't mind at all. I'll, I'll wear a mask. I'll drive the speed limit. I'll pay taxes, whatever. Do we have to come into agreement on that? Or can you just have your opinion and I'll have mine? The land of suspicion that we live in. I don't know if you've caught this virus. It's worse than the COVID virus. It makes you suspicious of everybody that's got any ability to touch your life in the slightest way. Suspicious. And they're all in on it together. And you know that. I read an article about a two-headed guy who came up with an idea. And do I have to agree with you on that? Do I have to subscribe to your conspiracy theory? Do I have to say amen when you tell me about some radical thing that began on the first trip to Mars that now it's everywhere? And do I, do I have to come into agreement with you on that for you and I to be unified? Is that what Jesus was praying about? I, I think Jesus said, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. Can, can I just release all of us? You, you can be as suspicious and conspiracy-minded as you want to be. You can wear a mask, not wear a mask. You can believe masks are horrible, believe they're great. We don't need to agree on any of that. We need to agree on this. And if we did agree on this, and we do agree on this, we can be about the mission that we are sent on. Because Jesus said, sanctify them in the truth and then send them into the world. But when they get out in the world, you're going to bump into a bunch of ideas out there that are going to be powerful and influential. Be careful how you let them in. You and I live in some interesting times. They're God-appointed times. They're the times that God chose for you to be alive in this location with these issues happening. 
I saw an article by David Mathis on Desiring God, and he used a, a quote, one of my favorite quotes from uh, The Lord of the Rings. The title of his article is, What to Do with the Times We Are Given. As soon as I saw it, I recognized, that's, that's Gandalf said that. Right, so here's the moment, right? Frodo, the little hobbit who's been assigned to take the ring and to go to Mount Doom and undo everything bad that could happen through this ring. But on the way there, a lot of trouble, right? If you've read the book, seen the movie, it's, it's a lot of trouble for this guy. And so Frodo finally just comes to the point where he's just exasperated by all that's happening. And he sits by himself in this cave and he says, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had ever happened. And he's within earshot of Gandalf. And wise Gandalf turns to him and says, well, Frodo, that's not for us to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the times that we are given. Right? So, you know, the author of The Lord of the Rings was a believer. He tucked away little biblical thoughts all throughout these writings. Um, you and I have been given times. We don't choose our times. We don't choose the race that we run. It is a God-appointed time for us to be living. I don't like these times. I don't like the times that I'm walking through. And I would join most pastors who would recognize it, it has never been harder. This would, this would be every pastor blog that you can read in the universe right now is recognized. It's like the power steering has gone out on the church. It is so hard to lead a group of people right now because there's so much divergence and distraction and individualism and ideas and hostilities that it's just everywhere. And, the, and we were supposed to have a few main issues and now there's a gazillion issues that we're all trying to sort through. I don't like these times. So I totally get Frodo. I'm totally with him. But then I need to hear the wise counsel is, Keith, you don't get to pick your times. Your only question is what to do with the times you have been given. And this is the time that we have been given. Probably the most divisive moment that most of us can remember in our lives. We are called upon to be together, unified answering the prayer of Jesus to be one to accomplish something that bears witness as to whether or not the father even sent Jesus into this world. That's big, isn't it? What if, I'm not going to do this, but what if we chase the thought that not being one results in a massive question from the world about whether Jesus really is from the father? What if that's what Jesus is saying? That's pretty sobering, isn't it? That means you and I paying attention to unity might be a really, really big matter in the kingdom of God. Well, here's the times in which we have been given. Second Timothy chapter three, Paul unpacks these times in a few verses when he says, but understand this in verse one, that in the last days, that's the times that we are in, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Can I get an Amen. This is difficult. This is why, he says in verse 2. Here's why. For people will be lovers of self. Followed by 18 sinful descriptions of what their lives will contain. They'll be lovers of money. They'll be proud, arrogant, abusive, ungrateful, slanderous, etc., etc. But I think it's interesting. I wonder, right? You know how sometimes we unpack the fruit of the spirit. We say the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. And we kind of say, hey, well, love's kind of the governing thing over all of them, right? We've said that about that. I wonder if Paul intended for this list to be governed by that first one. There's 18 sins here listed. The first one is what gives way to all the rest of them. Lovers of self. That's the most disunifying thing in this room right now. It's whether or not I love me at a level that's going to put you in jeopardy. And the unity that we have in jeopardy. Do I love something about me more than I love the purpose of God in this world? Right, that word there for lovers of self in the Greek, it's philautos. It's from the, the word for love, philos. 
means loving or friend, phileo, that's a friendship kind of love in the, in the Bible. And then autos means himself. So you're, you're basically a lover or a friend of yourself. You're self-centered or selfish, just in this description, and undue sparing of self with the primary concern that things be easy and pleasant for oneself. Welcome to days of difficulty. That seems to be the motto, right? Today, the primary concern is about things being easy and pleasant for oneself. That's in our world everywhere, is we want things to be easy and pleasant for my group, for the people like me, for me as an individual. So if it doesn't serve that person, I'm really only interested if the the tax structure, the laws, the way people are treated, whether or not they mess with my group, whether or not they mess something up about the life I want to live. Well, that's what lovers of selves are worried about. They have a philotos problem. But Jesus bumped the philotos thing to the side when he said, let the love that is in me be in them. And he said, love one another. And he used the word agapeo in that moment. An agape love that we get from God. See, philos autos, that that sense of self-love, it is waiting for all the circumstances to be just right so I can take action for something that's going to be in my interest. That's not how the love of God is. The love of God is initiating and pursuing. It goes to a cross. It, It submits itself to hostility. It's going to be treated horribly and poorly, but it's still going to love. So when Jesus bumps into this unity issue, remember, there are a couple of ingredients here pay attention to. If you go back and read all of John chapter 17, you're going to find him talking about love. You're going to find him talking about being sent. And you're going to find him talking about unity. And then when you fast forward to Paul, you have the same thing. He's going to talk about love in Philippians 1 and 2. He's going to talk about the mission that we are on, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And he's going to talk about oneness and unity. But let me awaken a concern for us, an understanding of of what furthers unity and what hinders unity, right? This, I meant to write this in your outline. Can you hold on to this thought? Ours is a day when everything is important. Everything is really, really, really important. Life is teetering on the edge of outrage and argument because everything is critically important. That's what it feels like in the Twitter universe. That's what it feels like on social media. That's what it feels like when somebody cuts you off in a car on the highway. Everything. You can become outraged at that driver that you've never known as much as the most horrible person in your past. Just like that, isn't it? Amazing, I would want to kill you like that miserable relative that I know. Ah, and I just met you. We're just on the verge of outrage constantly. But in the kingdom of God, not everything is supposed to be equally important. Did you get that? Might be the best thing I have to say this morning. (laughs) In the kingdom of God, not everything is equally important. Ours is to figure out What's really, really important in the kingdom of God? And what is the one thing of most importance? I did put in your outline, when more than one thing competes to win our hearts, unity is hindered. If you want to know when unity is going to have a hard time, that's when it's going to start happening. When more than one thing competes to win our hearts, unity is hindered. When one thing is unrivaled in our hearts, unity is furthered. So I'm studying this through and this image comes to mind for me. Don't worry. This is not a prophetic image. This is not like a Mark Prater prophetic moment. Uh, It's a horse racing image. Let me see that first image. All right. So here is the start of a race. It's a particular race. It is the Belmont Stakes in 1973. One of those horses is really, really famous. Really, really famous. The rest of the horses, I doubt any of you can name. But there's one there, the one with the blue and white checkered outfit on. 
everybody will know. As a matter of fact, some people chose the horse to be athlete of the century. That horse is the first one in the blue there named Secretariat. But there's a moment in a horse race, as there is a moment in life, when everything is bunched up and it's really hard to tell which of these horses is the superior horse? Which one's going to really, really win the race? Because this is what I think Jesus means when he says, sanctify them in the truth. Sanctification is a process and it starts off, we don't know a whole lot. But the goal is over time, we're going to know more and more and more and more and more. And that's going to have a transforming effect on us. But when you come to the kingdom, you bring a lot of stuff with you, you know? And so it's hard to know what's the most important thing. Well, I've always wanted to be a fireman. That's the most important thing. Or I've always wanted this. I have talents in this area. This is a priority for me. Don't put that other one up there. Now settle down back there, Ronald. There's all kinds of stuff you and I are bringing with us. We've had past experiences that we don't ever want to have that happen again in our lives. And so that's a priority for us. We've had economic difficulties that we want to make sure we construct life and have viewpoints that, that protect that. We bring all kinds of experiences with us into the kingdom of God. And we have to figure out what's the most important thing now. We've been shaped by the lives that we've lived. But there really is only one thing. That is of ultimate importance, right? And so as the race goes on, you and I grow and we learn, uh, eventually it becomes quite clear, right? This is the backstretch of the race of the Belmont Stakes. Now you can go ahead and switch it. This is towards the finish line. It was one of the most ridiculous races ever run. I think, I think Secretariat won by 31 lengths, I think. See, at some point, there's only one horse that's of most importance. That all the other horses, oh, they're in the race. Please don't get me wrong here. There's other things that are important. But the challenge for us is to figure out how far away are these important things removed from that which is of most importance, right? So in your outline, I put unity is what happens when one thing eclipses all other things among all in the group. Let's be honest, though. The day that's been given to us, this last 2020 and 2021 season, it seems like the body of Christ is having a hard time figuring out what that one thing really is. And so we're having a hard time coming together. Secondly, unity happens when secondary things are clearly understood to be secondary things. And that would seem to be a category that the body of Christ has struggled in as well over the last year and a half. Doesn't mean there aren't things for us to talk about, other things for us to consider, but they're secondary things and we treat them like they're secondary things. I wrote in your outline, disunity caused by lesser things reveals to us how light the gospel has become. When single-minded, side-by-side partnership in the gospel is no longer possible, that reveals that other things have become too weighty and the gospel has become too light. And that's a sobering thought for us. Listen, there's secretariat and there's all the other horses. There's one thing for us to discover in this world. That's at the heart of our lives. That should be an affection for us, an obsession for us. This should be our obsession. And if every one of us are obsessed over the same thing, it produces unity. That's the outcome of having that one thing in common, right? Here's a crash course. And what would that one thing be? First Corinthians 10 verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. There's a reason why our slogan says growing together for the glory of God. It is the reason for everything. It is what everything answers to. You're eating, you're drinking, your attitude, you're relating to people, your goals in life, the way you handle your money, what you do with your time, how you speak to other people for the glory of God. Second Corinthians 3 says we all 
Every one of us, right? Welcome to the body of Christ. We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. But this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Here's where the the breakdown comes in this category in Romans chapter 1, verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for something else. might be tempted in that first picture of the horses coming out of the starting blocks to pick a different horse. Pretty sure you wouldn't pick that same other horse when you saw the backstretch picture, right? But it's tempting because other things feel like they're so important. Ah, this is so important to us. But the moment you exchange that so important thing for the glory of God in your life, disaster will ensue. It will happen in the church. Even if you take something good, I'm sure those other horses were good. As a matter of fact, a lot of them had won a lot of other races. They were good. And you can have good things in your life. But the second you exchange that good thing and put it in the place of the glory of God, you will bring disaster into that moment, into that area of life. So what does it look like for us to be obsessed with one thing? I started the service reading to you from Psalm 27. Just read this again to you. Psalm 27 tells the story of David and the life that he's living. But in the midst of the life that he's living, there is one thing that sticks out above everything else. And it wasn't because his life was easy. He didn't have difficulties. As a matter of fact, he starts the psalm off painting the pictures of these were difficult times for him. Verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So this is a man in touch with fears and being afraid of things. Can we all recognize we have lived the last year and a half afraid of some things? And, and being afraid of some things makes, makes you change the horses in your life. Because I want to protect me from whatever it is that's happening. And he says, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes. So he's got evildoers in his life. He's got adversaries in his life. He's got foes in his life. It's they who will stumble and fall. Though an army, okay, now you got evil, now you got a whole army against you. My heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. So this is not an easy day for David. This is a day of great difficulty. But after he just kind of tells you a little bit about that difficulty, then he's going to tell you about the one thing. One thing have I asked of the Lord. That will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Okay, wait, wait, David, so does that mean you don't care about your foes? You're not asking about your foes? You're not asking about the war that's going on around you? All the attacks? All the bad things being said about you? you, you you're not asking anything about those things? No, I'm sure he did. As a matter of fact, if you read some of the other Psalms, he does pray and ask God about that. But they're not the one thing for him. There, there's, there's one thing. And, and can I just tell you that, that some of the things on his list, you and I might not be able to be unified with him about. it's an interesting thing. If you can get people to share a common enemy, you can usually bring them together, right? It's amazing. In the city of New Orleans, you can have black and white tensions that exist between races off the charts. Stick them all in the Superdome and stick the Atlanta Falcons on the other side of the field. (laughs) Right? It's an amazing moment of unity, isn't it? Hugging, high fives, doesn't matter, anything else, you know. But the problem is we don't always share enemies. And that's true in this room here. You've had experiences in your life and somebody else has had other experiences. You've you've got enemies that other people don't have. In our world today, defund the police. There are some people who say, I've had terrible experiences with the police. This is what my family has been through. This is what my life has been like. This is a horrible thing that happened to me. So, yeah. 
I got a problem with the police. And you're having a conversation with somebody who's like, I got relatives who are policemen. I'm grateful for the police. The police protect me. Uh, No, I'm not interested in defunding them or disrespecting them. Do we have to come into agreement on that? Your experience is just very different. You know, the flag is going to fly at the beginning of football games and the national anthem is going to be said. And some people have some feelings towards the flag and other people have a different set of feelings towards the flag. The flag means this to some and it means something else to somebody else. Do we have to come together on that? Do we have to be unified around that? Or this? And, and people, I know, we've got attitudes, right? I mean, there's this ah, thing. Just be careful because you're giving away what part of the race you live in. If you elevate these things to such a critical issue. Ah, you know what the thing? And those things, you know, we're, a, we're a primarily a suburban kind of a church. We've got more struggles with older people who feel uncomfortable with new ideas. And younger people who can't stand the old ideas. So when you hear them, it's kind of like, oh, oh, there's this sense of how do we come together and all that. Um, do, Do we need to really come together on all those things? Sanctify them in the generational ideas that are new or in the ones that are old. I mean, that's not what we're called to. One thing, one thing has to be way out ahead of everything else in our lives for the purpose of unity. Let me give you one last quote here. We're going to pray for us. N.T. Wright, in his commentary on Psalm 27, he says, One thing, says the psalm. One thing I do, says Paul. You lack one thing, says Jesus to a rich man. Only one thing is needed, says Jesus to Martha. I know one thing, says the blind man who Jesus had healed in John 9. These declarations about one thing vary, but all recognize that that there are moments when you have to focus. Can we recognize we have been splintered, distracted, paying attention to a lot of things. But in the economy of the kingdom of God, there's going to be a moment where we all have to focus. In Western culture, we have gotten used to multitasking, partly out of apparent necessity, partly out of choice. We think we can keep adding one more thing to our schedule without asking what we're going to abandon to create the room. Anybody else recognize that besides me? A lot of us are doing adding and we never do subtracting. It just doesn't work. It's too many horses in the race now. And we aren't very good at standing back and asking what has priority. It's hard to perceive the moment when you have to focus. And it's hard to do the focusing. Yes, it is. Perhaps the recurrence in scripture of the expression one thing indicates that it's not just a Western problem. The fuller expression in the psalm is one thing I have asked for. What you ask for tells you who you are. What do you want? Is thus a telling question when God asks it of Solomon. And when Jesus asks it of another blind man, both stories indicated the person could have given other answers to the question. The psalm is yet another psalm that presupposes a situation of being under attack. People are watching me. Now I want to be given their comeuppance and to be protected, right? I want to be protected. That's what that word means by these things that are coming against me. But the Psalms, one thing lies somewhere else. How many of us recognize sometimes what battles with unity is self-protection? I'm afraid to give in to you. I'm afraid to get around you because I'm afraid of what might happen to me. I get that. That's real. It's not an excuse for not being one with others. The one thing is to dwell In Yahweh's house. The expression is an image for living in Yahweh's presence, living in Yahweh's household, and therefore being under Yahweh's protection. It makes everything else but the one thing fall away. All right. Thank you for being up here. All right, guys, let's take a moment and just pray together, right? Because God has a mission for his church. 
God has a mission for his church that involves people set apart in the same thing to do one thing above everything else. I mean, we don't do other things, but we do one thing above everything else. And so can, can we just pray together for a few moments just to let God dig around in our one thing, dig around in what's going on in us, that we value and cling to and treat as very, very important. Father, I thank you that you don't treat everything like it's so important. God, I thank you that you bring focus to our lives by simple statements. Lord, how many times in my walk with you throughout my years, I have sought shelter under your words. Keith, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added. Lord, there's something that's first and then everything else is way behind that thing. And Lord, it's been hard to discern what's first in this last year and a half. Lord, Lord, we have, we have struggled in that. Lord, individually, we have struggled. Churches have struggled, Lord. The body of Christ has struggled. Disunity has found its way. And it's found its way for this reason. Other things are trying to be of most importance. Lord, today, would you help us, Lord? Because I believe this room is filled with people who want to be on your mission. Lord, people who are humbled by the fact that you sought us out and you chose us to be your people. That we are the objects of your prayers. That we are seen by you as not of this world. Taken out of this world. Now sent back into this world. On a mission for the faith of the gospel. Lord, Lord, that, that rings true in our hearts and it matters to us. But perhaps, Lord, we find ourselves in one of two places. Maybe we've lost focus on that. It's been a busy year and a half. It's been a distracted year and a half. It's been a lot of things calling out for our attention. A lot of new things we've never had to think about and do before. Lord, this morning, God, we just invite your spirit among us. Would you help us focus this morning? God, just help us focus. Lord, help us to see the race. Help us to see the one thing that's far out ahead of everything else. Lord, help us to draw near to that reality that that's the one thing that I need to be focused on more than anything else. I pray for every person who's here this morning and those who are watching as well. Lord, where fear has been ruling the day, Ah, Lord, if all my money's on secretariat, fear was gone in the backstretch. <laughs> fear was there in the beginning because I don't know whether that's going to work out or not. But in the backstretch, uh, fear is no longer my friend because the one thing that matters the most is going to take place. God, for each of us who have struggled in this last year and a half with fear, God, would you help us to see the race correctly? Or would you help us to see what really, really, truly matters the most? God, where we have struggled to juggle so many balls and we have taken on so many things, Lord, maybe we have added without subtracting. Maybe that's where we are right now. This season has been a season where we have added to our lives without subtracting anything. And Lord, we have lost you in the pack of other horses now. God, I pray for every person here this morning whose life just feels like it's too full, too full to be lived well. No, that's probably true, Lord. Would you, right now, for each of us thinking that way, Lord, would, would you help us do some subtraction? Would you help us just flat be open to subtracting some things? Would you help us just to stare out at our lives and says, that's got to go and that's got to go and that's got to go. 
Because, Lord, the one thing that I don't want to have go is your glory in the gospel in my life. So, Father, I pray for us, every one of us, Lakeview Christian Center. Lord, would you help us to focus on what really, really matters the most? God, I pray for one more thing. But I pray for everyone who may be here right now who's struggling with ill in their hearts. Lord, this world is noisy and it is hostile and belligerent and angry. And Lord, perhaps we're here this morning and that has crept its way into our heart. And our heart sounds like that. We're angry, we're critical, we're not grateful. We don't want to be around certain people because they don't subscribe to our personal territory. Lord, we have let self-love push and crowd out your kind of love. And Lord, that's not who we are as people. God, we're thankful for that. But Lord, perhaps we've lost sight of that in these last months. I pray for every person who right now is in touch with, my heart is angry. My heart doesn't want to be around people especially those kind of people. Lord, help us. Help us right now, God. That can't stay. Lord, we can't be one with that kind of stuff in our hearts. You're not okay with that. Lord, you're calling us to one thing, the glory of God, dipped in the purpose of God, the mission that we're on together. Lord, would you make it so that our hearts are not antagonistic toward the people that we're on a mission with together? God, we got to have each other's backs. We got to walk together. There's a real enemy. These days are difficult. We don't need to be adding to that difficulty. God, and if we are, would you give us grace to repent this morning? Turn from everything that's causing us to turn away from the people you've joined us to. Because one thing, Lord, one thing matters like nothing else. Your glory portrayed in your gospel for all the world to see. That you might have men and women from every tribe and nation and tongue to stand before your throne one day. And finally figure out which horse is really the greatest one in all this world. Or this, we ask, help us, Lord, in the days ahead to learn how to be on this mission together for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. So great to be with you. Love you guys at home. Looking forward to seeing you. And Lord willing, we will be back here again next week for one one service. Just one, one service. Hallelujah. See you guys.